Hey, this is Jason Cutter, CEO of Cutter Consulting Group. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hi, I'm Stacey O'Byrne, and I get to hang out with successful entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals, and some of the top business influencers and thought leaders in the world. You see, I believe that it's important to learn the art and science of how to sell without selling, and that is the only way to achieve six and seven figure success. So if you want to be a success magnet, attract quality people in your network and significantly increase your sales and ultimately your success, then you're in the right place because this is the Sell Without Selling podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and today I'm speaking with a really good friend of mine, Jason Cutter. Jason is the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, sees himself as a sales success architect. Anything from training to scripting to sales tech, he helps small businesses create scalable inside sales teams. His newest program is called Authentic Persuasion with the goal of helping salespeople go from order taker to quota breaker. I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited for you to hear today's conversation with Jason. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, sales professional, and if you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. Okay, Jason, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I am great. I'm super excited to be here and slightly jealous of the name of your show. You beat me to it. So, <laughs> Well, thanks so much. So I'm, I'm really curious, what got you into starting the business that you started? For the consulting business that I have, it was a long journey. And at one point in the managing and leading of sales teams that I was doing, I realized the part that I really enjoyed the most was the coaching the leading and training, and then also the building of mm -hmm. sales systems and mm -hmm. or helping teams improve. There was a period of time where I had essentially affiliate offices and I would travel to them and then retrain their people and help identify their problems. And it was mm -hmm. that moment in 2011 where I was like, this is what I really enjoy. And then you know, the path led me there eventually. Yeah. And thanks for commenting on, on the name of, of the show. It's, it's something I'm very, very passionate about. And see, I, I believe that, yes, we absolutely do have to sell. And we don't even have to, we get to. If you want to grow your business, 
Learning the art and the science of how to sell is important. However, I believe some people make it harder than others. And reality is in order for the outer to work, and the outer is sales and closing and negotiating and all that, we have to do the inner work. So that's the inner work is what makes selling without selling very easy, right? I wanted people to understand where Cutter Consulting came from because you have a very interesting background, right? <laughs> you didn't start out as this sales guru, did you? No, and uh, interesting is a nice way to put it. That's a, that's a nice <laughs> one in air quotes. No, and that's, I think that's what makes my journey different than a lot of people that do what we do, you know, mm-hmm. the people like yourself and, and myself. Yeah. I mean, I grew up as a shy, awkward, only child, late bloomer who was bullied as a kid, two analytical parents that uh, one was a banker and one was an engineer when they were starting their careers. And so like my mom is actually such a banker that she saw fraud and she was anti-sales, anti-manipulator. You know, we weren't a business family. We didn't have any sales leadership in the family. My bachelor's degree is in marine biology, which is how much I didn't want to be in sales or dealing with the public, yet here I am. Mm -hmm. What else did you do in the past until you ended up here? You know, in in college, I worked in a restaurant, so I was Mm -hmm. waiting tables. I didn't even want to do that. I wanted to just bus tables. And then I went into marine biology. And then from there, I couldn't get a job in marine biology without a, a master's degree. So I moved away from that. I worked at Microsoft doing tech support for two years when that was still done in the US. In fact, Mm -hmm. in 2002, we all lost our jobs when they started outsourcing offshore, which now everyone just assumes and expects it. But there was actually a time when it was done in America and that was us. And then we all got our jobs taken away, which was fine for me because I realized that was also not what I wanted to do. Like I didn't want to do computers and tech support. And then it was uh, when I was 27, I got my first sales job in the mortgage business, which didn't require a lot of selling because it was the height of the housing market and everyone was excited to buy. I still found ways to screw things up and lost a lot of money by not being good at sales and persuasion. But that was was when it started. Gotcha. What is selling to you? So you have a new book out and, and what does your new book say about authentic persuasion? So for me, it's those two things, right? And this is where I love the work that you do. And like, as soon as we met, it was like instant alignment because Mm -hmm. it's like all under that same framework. The first part is that inner that literally you just talked about where that's why it's authentic persuasion, not just persuasion with authenticity. It's like the first section of the book is all about the inner. It's all about you. It's about why do you want to be successful? Like, what would you put on your vision board? What are you afraid of? What are your fears holding you back? What are your strengths? What does it take to be successful for you, your part? And then what do you bring? And then empowering people to just be themselves, not try to be like Bob in the next desk over who sells this way. Like, do your thing, be your own person. For the longest time, I was embarrassed by my windy, messy past, right? Like that interesting part that you mentioned, like I didn't want to tell anyone that. And then I realized like, that's actually what makes me a human and more relatable and, you know, Mm -hmm. more effective. So that's the authentic piece. And then the persuasion piece is just actually being intentional with moving a qualified person who has problem X and you have solution X to move them across the finish line like a professional instead of either manipulating on one end or the term I use, an order taker at the other end. Fantastic. So what's your opinion about entrepreneurs and business owners and where they trip up in the process of of selling and closing and being successful? I think there's two general categories. 
One is that they're really good technicians and practitioners of whatever it is they're selling. So a coach, a consultant, an artist, you know, somebody who makes websites, like a technical type of person. And so they're a technical entrepreneur. They do something that, you know, they really love. And sales is that unfortunate terribleness that gets in the way of them being able to do it. And so what mm -hmm. happens is they end up going the order taker route because they hope people buy, but they're afraid of price. They're afraid of conversations. They're afraid of owning what they do and their value. In fact, I talked to someone this morning and I was coaching her on it where she's a filmmaker and does great work. And she's like, I'm just, a, I don't even know what to do. And I don't want to talk about price. And so if you have value, then you should embrace that. And so I think that's on one end of the spectrum. And then the other one is where an entrepreneur, a small business, the owner lives it, is passionate about it, can sell the living crap out of it because they know it so well, but they literally can't teach anyone else to do it because they're too, so close to it and they can't translate that into a system or a script or training. Right, right. What's been your number one key to success throughout life? You know, for me, I think it's been just a deep curiosity and problem-solving desire, whatever it is. Early on, it was anything but people. So I had my dinosaur phase as a kid, and then I got into my shark phase, and then I got into <laughs> marine biology. And then later on in, in life, and that's what I think made me really good at tech support was I was just curious. Somebody had a problem. Let's dive deep. Let's figure it out. Let's solve this problem. Let's, you know, we're just, we're going to figure this out. And then I've taken that in the world of persuasion and sales, which is like, I'm just curious. When I talk to someone, I'm just asking a ton of questions because I'm super curious. And then how can I provide value? And I think if you look at everything I've done, it's really just about curiosity and then solving problems, providing value, and then just trusting in abundance in the world and whatever's going to happen. So I'm curious because people hear all the time that, that sales is a numbers game. And I know, and, and I know you know, sales is a science. There's no numbers game about sales. I mean, yeah. we can show them how sales is a numbers game and it's because they don't apply the science behind it. And that's why they end up with the law of averages that they do. But because you keep bringing up the marine biologist aspect, that in itself is a science. And I find it very ironic that a scientist or a science-based learner in a far other realm of science found his way to sales. So marine biology and selling to humans, what is the relativity there? What's the similarities? Nothing. No, nothing really at all. And in I, fact, I actually am going to disagree. I know, I know you will. And, and I'm saying that just partially to be funny, especially because right. people always ask, well, you know, because I used to tag sharks and then now I'm dealing with sharks, you know, salespeople is what they think. Yep. Of. And uh, I would much rather deal with sharks in the water because they're very, they're one dimensional. They go one direction. They have one thing on their mind. Mm -hmm. It's very predictable. I mean, you don't want to be at the bad end, but it's very predictable what they're going to do. So yeah. So like the funny side is nothing, absolutely nothing. But as I went through life, like later on in life, when I was really reflecting back, I looked at it and it's like this, you know, the scientific approach and having, you know, a problem that you want to solve and experimenting and testing and then coming up with a conclusion and then getting to the point where there's replicatable results, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole point of science, which is like, okay, we've proven this thing. Is this a truth? 
Does it hold true? Can anybody replicate this? Can anyone use this system, whatever it is? And then how do you do more of it? And so that's really where in my sales consulting and leadership side, I'm all about systems and processes and not even ones that only can be run by superstars because you know it's what a lot of companies want is just sales superstars who just crush it. But it's hard to scale for most organizations who want to build a team. I mean, sales, superstars are great, but you're never going to have 50 superstars in a call center or 20 superstars. And so how do you build systems so that people who are open and willing and curious and have the right attitude and are a cultural fit where you can provide them what they need in a system and then they can just crush it? Absolutely. So one of the reasons when I turned around and I laughed and said, no, honestly, I'll disagree is because I have uh, snorkeled. I, I've never scuba dived, but, but I've snorkeled. And the one thing that, that I was very aware of when I was in the ocean is they're as aware of us as we are of them. And depending on how we respond, depending on the energy that we're projecting out determines how comfortable or uncomfortable they are. When we were snorkeling in Maui, we were doing the Hawaiian sea turtle dives and, and we were looking for the Hawaiian sea turtles. And when people were flailing all around and kicking and, and being overly excited, the sea turtles would, they'd go. They didn't want anything to do with us. But if you just stayed in your calm, inner peace and presence and you were 100% congruent, authentic, transparent, appreciative, they just flocked. It was phenomenal. When we were out in the ocean and we were sea doing, uh, we, it was funny. There's, there's a really funny story to this, and I promise it has a point. We had just gotten married. We're out on a sea do, and Mary Lou was on the back, and I decided, you know what? I'm just going to hit these waves, pegging the sea do, and throw her off the sea do into the ocean. And I'm doing it and I'm doing it and I'm, and she's not, she's holding on. She's not falling off. So I started doing donuts and she's screaming and she's laughing. And then finally I, I realized, wow, I'm in Hawaii. This is like great white country. I uh, probably don't want to throw the person off the back of the sea who I just married. So um, I better like slow down. So I pulled, I pulled my hand off the throttle. She smacks me and she goes, why are you stopping? This is fun. So I throttled it again and we started hitting the waves and the sea dew would like go six feet in the air and come down, six feet in the air and come down. And she's screaming and we're laughing. We just had so much real love and energy being projected out. And then out of the blue, all these dorsal fins came up alongside my sea dew. And I'm like, oh, what did I do? Because all I'm thinking is great white, right? And then it dawned on me, oh, they're not in packs. They're not pack animals. We're safe. And it was spinners. And the spinners were playing in the wake. And I guess just because of the energy and the love that we were projecting out, they got attracted and they started playing with us. So I de-throttled. I turned off my sea dew. We were floating and they were just doing acrobats all around us. And we just sat there in complete awe and appreciation for like 10 minutes. And then everyone else out in the ocean who was playing with us or, or out sea doing with us realized what was going on. And they all started screaming and pegging to get to us. And then they scared the dolphins away because the energy changed. So in my opinion, I think you learned the foundational part of you have to show up real. You have to show up grounded and peaceful 
in a state of serenity so that they're okay in their environment. Because if they're not okay in their environment, well, then the environment's going to become predatory. Yeah. I don't know. And I, and I love that story. Uh, one correction I would say is there's usually not great whites uh, around Hawaii. There's tiger sharks. <laughs> okay, there you go. tiger sharks... Tiger sharks scare me more than great whites, even though okay. I've tagged and, and dealt with great whites because tiger sharks eat turtles whole, shell and all. That's serious. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, and, and no, and you make a good point. I love that story because there's so many lessons in there. One of the first ones I'm thinking is it, it's a, you know, kind of a view of the world. Your new bride's on the back. You're trying to get her into the water and her view on life is, this is fun. Right. I'm having a great time. Why did you stop, right? Which is, you know, some people go through life like, oh my God, terrible things are happening. And oh my gosh, like the world's falling apart. And then there's other people in the world who are like, whatever, this is fuck. Whatever happens, like, you know, flat tire on the side of the road. Okay, well, this is an adventure. Let's see where this goes, right? Like that kind of attitude. And I love that you shared that and she has that. And then the other part I'm thinking, and I even mentioned this in the book, it's how you show up exactly like you said, especially with prospective customers, people you're talking to. I mean, I had a friend growing up, they didn't grow up with dogs. We had dogs all the time and larger dogs like huskies and shepherds and things like that. He would come over and they would freak out because he was freaked out and they could pick up on that energy and it was bad. Like they didn't care except he cared and he was scared and then he made them scared. And when you talk about sales, like how you show up is what you're going to, the energy you're going to give to those prospects. I mean, if you know what your value is, if you know that you're there to help people and serve them through selling and that you're a professional, people will be calm, they'll be relaxed and they'll follow your lead. Absolutely. So what inspires you to do what you do? For me, you know, what I really realized, and this always goes into the thing, and I don't know if you get this as well. It's like, okay, if you're so good at selling, then why are you writing a book and teaching people to sell? Why don't you just sell yourself? For me, what drives me is transformation. And the thing that I absolutely love the most is the light bulb moment when I get to see that or experience that for, with people, right? Like I teach them something, they learn something, they try something new. It's like, hey, try this. And then they do it and it works. And that energy, that's absolutely why I do what I do is for, is for those light bulb moments. Uh, that's phenomenal. For me, it, it's all about giving back. It's all about, I jokingly tell my clients, people who end up in our NLP training, that on a daily basis, I have the beautiful position of getting paid to fix my stuff every day. Because everything that I see and I hear in my clients is a beautiful mirror of what I get to grow, evolve, and transform from. That's why I do what I do. Because I love it. I love watching people step into their excellence. I love watching people pursue their dreams with all the tenacity and veracity that they deserve. That's what life's all about. It really is. I totally agree. I love it. So I personally am going to lovingly say I'm pandemic out, <laughs> you know, because, and what I mean by that is, is everyone is talking about today's environment, today's pandemic. Reality is it's just a new opportunity to get even better, to be even more efficient, to help even more people and find new ways to do that. So for me, whether we're in the pandemic or out of the pandemic, whether we're physical distancing or allowed to be face-to-face, -face, whether we're in a computer screen or in a restaurant or a training room, for me, the opportunities are still there. Now, I pre-framed all of this with, I'm kind of pandemic out, 
And I say that to say, what are a few tips that you can give to the listeners who are Zoom butted out, Zoomed out, zoned out, fried, fed up, scared, afraid, or fill in the blank, whatever other adjective fits in there? You know, and I don't know if this is really going to answer, but this is all I can think about when you're talking about the topic is one of the things going back to your mirror comment about your clients being a mirror for you. Mm -hmm. I feel like this pandemic, and this is just a global shared terrible event and life-changing event for everybody, but everyone's usually going through something, but it's held up a mirror for everybody and it's showing what people's default modes are, right? Mm -hmm. Like when things like this happen and it's rough, do you go even more like deeper into what you should be doing? Do you want to find new ways to build value? Do you want to you know, spend more time doing what you can, or do you retreat and hide? And I think even like the Zoom fatigue and stuff like that, like, are you doing Zoom calls that you really want to do? Are you doing what you want to do? Or are you doing things you feel like you should do or have to do, which may be the same thing if it wasn't a pandemic and you were working your normal life? Like, do you have that feeling with or without a pandemic on Sunday night where you're already feeling anxious about Monday morning? Or are you excited and ready to go? I think really that's the part, like when I hear people talk about it, there's two camps. There's the, you know, anxious, worried, scared, burnt out mode. And then there's the fired up. I wish there were more hours in the day because I just want to create more and more and give more and more and talk to more and more people. Absolutely. It's all about perspective, right? It's all about how you allow yourself. And you notice I chose the word allow, how you allow yourself to view the situation because how you allow yourself to frame it how you allow yourself to view it, the perspective that you're taking on it is going to create the internal representation, how you feel about it, how you think about it, how you approach it, how you speak about it, which then ultimately is going to dictate your behavior, which is then going to dictate how your environment turns out. So you either get to do something or you have to do something. That's just reality. And I think it's also relative. If you combine what you're saying about, you know, how you allow yourself Mm -hmm. to react or deal with life, and then you combine that with things being relative. So what other things have you gone through in your life? I mean, that's where I see a lot of people in their 20s and 30s who have never been punched in the face really, really struggling right now because they're just like, this is the first time something real right? Some of us who are older know other things that have happened, other tragedies, our own life tragedies. You know, my path has been windy. And usually, like I've found out my sign is really the sign of the phoenix. So there's been a lot of death and rebirth in my personal life. And so this is, I mean, this is easy for me because I've been conditioned and prepped for this. Like I want to make the most out of it. Yeah. This is just another dance, you know, one step forward, two back. That's all it is. Or two steps forward, one back. It doesn't matter. Life is all about ebb and flow and that's in business and relationships and personal, right? Yep. It's all about the give and the take. It's funny because the listeners, this is going to be the third time that they've heard this. I can't help it. It's, I am a huge, I love Pixar. I love of Disney. I believe that there's a lot of massive life lessons in there. And on my Instagram at Pivot Point Advantage, on my Instagram, we just recently shared one of my favorite lessons from Kung Fu Panda, which is so applicable today. And it's when the stork turned around, oh, I'm sorry, the crane, and Panda was frustrated about not being good enough and that maybe he should just go back to making noodles. And the crane started noodle this, noodle that, noodle this. And he turned around and he goes, young man, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. And today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. 
And so many people look back at what was, or they worry about what isn't, and they're losing the opportunity of what it is they get to do to make yesterday better and tomorrow what they've always dreamed of. So yes, I know this is the third time I've said that. I can't help it. I love the lesson and I'm not letting go of it, damn it. (laughs) And I think it's applicable. I mean, even as you're saying that, that's a good reminder for me because I struggle with that, right? Like being an analytical minded person, I'm one of those go to bed and think about all the things I said wrong, didn't do right, could have done more. You know, that's where my brain wants to default to all the time. And so it's about being present. So I love it. That's great. That's awesome. So what's the best advice that you can give someone who is is just starting out? And the reason why I'm asking that is because I have a belief that what we're going to see moving forward is a very similar revolution to what we saw in 2001 after 9-11. Because in 2001, right after 9-11, a lot of people lost their corporate jobs. And there were a lot of people in America that had to identify, got to identify how it was they were going to support themselves. And this immersion, this phoenix of the reluctant entrepreneurs happened. And I believe that you know, through this first and second and probably third wave of layoffs that have happened because of the pandemic. And let's face it, corporate America is brilliant. They have realized that they don't need as much overhead now, right? So we're going to see this awakening of the at-home worker, right? Just my my prediction anyway. And I also believe that because there's going to be less and less brick and mortar, I believe that there's going to be another level of layoffs because they're going to be able to streamline things through technology. I say all of that to say, I think that the era that we're in right now is going to create this phoenix, this immersion of a new breed of entrepreneurs. So I think a lot of people are going to find themselves, what do I do? Now, I say all of that to say there are some people who also haven't created the success in the business that they want yet, and they can heed to this advice too. So what advice can you give someone who's just starting out? The biggest thing is invest as much time and mental energy as possible to go as deep as you can with self-awareness. That's like the number one thing. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Where do you lose track of all time? And time doesn't mean anything. Eating doesn't mean anything. Nothing else matters because you're in the zone. And then where does that fit into what you're trying to do and what you're wanting to grow, like where you're going with things? And then just become self-aware. And then also realize that generally what happens is that's not enough to build a sustainable business to build the revenue, either a lower level or a really high level where somebody thinks they want to go to. And so what other pieces of the puzzle do you need to fill in? Um, Because again, if you're really brilliant in one area, there's usually weaknesses that are just as strong in other areas. And it's tough to be successful in business. That's why one of my favorite books is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, where it talks about why small businesses fail because it's usually started by one of three types of people. And the key is to fill in the rest. And so self-awareness and then, you know, whether it's employees, assistants, outsourcing, part-time people or business partners, then figure it out because it's hard to do it all alone. So great point. I want to take a deeper dive into your first idea or or the first topic, and that was self-awareness. 
self-awareness, how is that applicable to someone being successful in business? Let's dive deep there because we share this belief. Yeah. I mean, I think it really comes down to knowing what your strengths are and mm-hmm. knowing what your weaknesses are. And then the self-awareness of what your value is to others. I mean, that's where you and I you know, really talk about this a lot, which is how are you building value for other people? How are you making the world a better place, everybody you interact with better, like leaving them better off than you found them. And the only way to do that is really self-awareness. Like who are you and what do you bring to the table and not judging it, right? Like I know people whose their biggest value is the way they host parties and they bring people together and build community. And through that, other things happen. And a lot of times they judge themselves. Well, I'm not good at anything. I'm just good at throwing parties, but you're doing it that's then benefiting groups and community and like leading to something else. And that's, that's amazing. But you have to have self-awareness to achieve that. So for me, self-awareness, taking it even deeper, is understanding that our most unconscious filtering system, our deepest filters, our metaprograms, our values, our beliefs, or, or our lack thereof. So growing up, if you were told you could or could not do something, how that imprinted in your programming, the money mindset that is programmed in your programming, these are the blind spots. These are what people don't know that they don't know. And it's what they don't know that they don't know that is always what they find out bites them in the butt and prevents them from having it. You know, because I I, I remember being in, in a sales encounter one time with a person and she pre-framed the sale with, I know this is really expensive. So for me, what the cost of the item was, was less than what I pay for a bottle of wine. The item was like $115, $120. I pay more for a bottle of wine than that. And her pre-frame, because for her, that was so much money. What does that do though? What that does to the recipient, to the prospective avatar, is it sends flags into their neurology, you know, abort, abort, abandon, abandon. And then no matter what the presentation is from there, that projection of her most unconscious filters lands in her presentation. And then the prospective avatar, the prospective client can't engage. They can't pull the trigger on it because it didn't meet them where they were at. The presentation was based on the presenter's model of the world and not the recipient's model of the world. So it's really important to know what our core values are. And I'm not talking the conscious ones. I'm not talking the ones that you think are important to you. I'm talking about the ones that you don't even know are important to you because they're the ones that make all the decisions. I'm talking about your metaprograms. Your metaprograms are your most unconscious filter. It's what dictates and determines your behaviors. And then let's not even talk about your beliefs that create the limiting beliefs that exist in your world that dictate whether or not you do something follow through or not. So the self-awareness of your programming, I mean, you were in Microsoft. If a program is debunked, what happens? It doesn't deploy, right? So if a person's program is framed from the perspective of just getting by or survival mode or self-doubt or, or lack of belief or fill in the blank, whatever, that gets deployed in everything they do, which affects their results. And that example you used of the woman 
pre-framing and pre-judging for you based on her filter um, is one of the things I talk about and I identified years ago and I would do training, especially with new reps is a lot of times what I'll do is I'll ask everybody in a new training group. I was like, okay, you know, you've heard enough about what you're selling. What do you think the biggest objections are going to be? What do you think the biggest problems are going to be? And then I'll write them all on the whiteboard. And it's interesting, like, okay, why do you think that? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I do some games and tricks with people. It's a little hard to explain here, but you know, I'll put somebody in a corner and I had one guy once say, well, I would never give out my social security number. And I'm like, why? I'm like, well, because I was a victim of fraud before. And, you know, I, I just know what that's like. And so I would never feel comfortable asking someone for theirs. I'm like, well, if you don't believe in yourself enough and you don't think you're the good guy in this situation trying to help somebody, you're never going to win at this game. Yeah. No, And uh, it's true. I mean, I, and I'm sure you're the same way, but I've gotten to the point where I can, I don't even have to listen to somebody's conversations. I can just read their notes and see the trend of the outcomes of their conversations in a CRM to know what their bias is and where they're not effective in their conversations. No, absolutely. I absolutely agree. It's funny because in our boot camp, it's our success boot camp. I ask, who here has competition? And of course, the whole room raises their hand. And then I turn around and I say, who in here is in sales? It's so funny. Only half the room ever raises their hand. And it's like, um, if you're in business, you're in sales. So then everybody raises their hand. So then I turn around and I say, who here is better than our competition? You'd be surprised at how many hands don't go up with that question. And then I turned around and said, so why bother? If you don't think you're better than your competition, why don't you go work for them? Seriously, what's the point of being in your business? And then they all get a little, well, I am better than my competition. Then why didn't you raise your hand? And then you see that self-doubt, that lack of self-awareness of belief in self. And then everybody starts creeping their hand up. And I said, look, if you're not better than your competition, why bother being in business competing against them? Because the reality is the prospective client is going to find the best of the best. The world of instant gratification and technology has ensured that people can do all their due diligence before they're ever communicating with you. I say all of that to say, if you are better than them, then you better well earn it and own it. Because if you don't own it, you'll never earn it. And if you don't earn it, then you'll never stay in business. And then they all turn around and they're like, well, well, and there's no well about it. You either are or you aren't. And if you are, then own it. And if you're going to own it and you are better than your competition, it is up to you. You deserve to move that prospective client through their decision-making process so that they end up in the right solution. And that's if you're better than your competition. If you're not, then it's your responsibility if you're a service provider to move that person into where they belong. Can't you tell I'm just a little passionate about this? <laughs> so I actually, I have a question for you on that. I want to flip the table real quick because I'm super Go for curious it. I'm being, your, your wait, I'm being interviewed in my own yeah, podcast. No, no, okay, no. I'm just excited. a conversation. Okay, there you go. Officially. So one of the things that, that I view is I completely agree with you. Be better than your competition. But on the other side of that, the way I've always looked at things is I don't really care about the competition. I don't care what they're doing. I don't recognize them. I don't recognize there's competition. Whenever I've sold anything, like at a company or train people, you know, and, and a prospective customer will say, well, what do you know about this other company? I don't know anything. I know mm -hmm. what we're really good at. I know what I can do. I know the value. I know what will happen for you when you become a customer of ours. I literally have no idea what they do or mm -hmm. how they do it. What is your thought on that perspective? Is that, you know, I don't know if that's splitting hairs. No. So a few things. 
I believe that there is enough business in the world for all of us. That's my belief. I believe, I believe that abundance exists and the people who align with myself and my message are going to end up in my organization. The people who align with someone else who does the same thing I do will end up in their organization. Now, do I know I'm good? I know I'm good. I know that I invest wholeheartedly in people's dreams, their desires, their successes. If if you plug in, I'm in this with you all the way. And people are like, well, that's crazy. You have thousands of thousands of students. Yeah, we do. And that's okay. Because reality is I'm in it for every one of them to win it. It becomes this ripple effect. The mission of our company is to transform the world. The only way that's going to happen is if we transform someone who wants to transform someone. So I'm invested in this. I say all of that to say, is it healthy to know what our competition is good at? Absolutely. And the reason why is because if I can't help someone, I want to know who can, because I want to make sure that someone doesn't end up in a solution that's mediocre. So I do know what my competitors are good at. I do know what they're not good at. I know what I'm good at. And I also know that if I'm good at what I'm good at, and that product, service, and solution fits and fills the needs, wants, and desires. It's my responsibility to make sure that person ends up in mind because I know I'm invested in that. And then if I can't be of service to them and I'm aware of that, then it's my responsibility to tell them who I know because I am the expert in my field, who I know who can help them. That's just my opinion. I love it. No, I, and I totally agree. And I think it's, it's that duty and responsibility to help the people you can the ones who you can't, right? And I know the can't, you know, using that word, but the ones where it's just not a good fit, wanting the best for them and sending them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that there's 8 billion people on the planet, right? And mm-hmm. the goal is not to get everybody into your tribe. It's to find your tribe and service your tribe. And then I service my tribe and somebody else is servicing their part of the world and everyone is lifting everybody up as they can. Absolutely. So sales question. What's the difference between selling and closing to you? I don't know. I think that's, it almost feels like a, a, a language word thing. I mean, closing to me is getting someone to realize they need to buy. Like they've, they've made the decision, they're ready to go, and that is done. And then everything past the close or closing is administrative, mm-hmm. right? Depending on when that occurs. So mm-hmm. you could close the deal in the first five minutes, and then you've got to do an hour and a half worth of paperwork. Or it could take you an hour and a half to get there and it could take you, you know, one credit card swipe and then the deal is done, right? Like the admin's done and I've done both. So I think that's it. Selling, I mean, I don't like the word, I mean, use selling without, you know, sell without selling. I mean, I think selling implies something I'm doing to you, which I'm not a huge fan of. You know, my book's called Selling with Authentic Persuasion. So, you know, it's about how you get somebody there. But I think selling is really that, you know, helping someone get to that journey where, again, they have problem X, you have solution X, and then I'm going to help you make that journey or Mm -hmm. leave you better off. For me, and this is one of my favorite questions. It's not my favorite question. It is one of them. And the reason why is because for me, selling is doing your cookie cutter standard presentation that's focused on the product and the sale and not the consumer, the prospective client, their needs, their wants, their desires, 
It's not connecting the need, want, and desire to the product, service, and solution. It's just trying to force fit, right? And it's just someone showing up, going through the motions, and then creating that journey of, I'm going to lovingly call it CRM and follow-up help, right? For me, closing is identifying the need, want, and desire, determining whether or not you can fill it moving that prospective client through their decision-making process so that they end up in the best service for them and that need. And if you do that, you don't have to do a presentation. You don't have to sell, right? And it's you being confident. It's you being aware of where the other person's at and how your product can fill that gap right? And it's about showing up in service. It's not about showing up for the bank account or, or the, the checkbook or, you know, you, you always hear this fancy stuff, order taker, order maker, as, as, as you had said earlier, and I believe that. I believe yeah. the order takers are the people who play the numbers game. I believe the order makers are the people who understand the science behind it. This is a people business. This is not a numbers game, right? So now my favorite question. (laughs) So this is the signature question of the show. And that is, what does sell without selling mean to you? For me, it's when somebody gets done with some type of transaction Mm -hmm. where they bought something, right? Paid for something, agreed to something, could be monetarily, could be energy, it could be relationship, could be anything, right? Because everything in life is sales. And so they end with that transaction. The deal is closed and they're happy with what they bought and they feel like it's in their best benefit and they did it for their reasons and they feel good about it. When you do that, that's sell without selling where the other person person is thankful and grateful and appreciates you for being a professional and helping them. Again, relationship could be anything. That's what it is to me. Fantastic. So welcome to the random round. So this is a fun Q&A with me. And, and the reason why this is one of my favorite parts of the show is because I believe that success leaves clues. Okay. And because of that, I believe that our, our listeners can grab onto something that resonates with them and then apply it into their life. Eventually duplicate and replicate the success of our guests. Okay. So I'm curious, what does your morning routine look like? Currently, what it is, is waking up uh, between 535, The time is changing, but it was about getting up and instantly going for a walk around the neighborhood for at least a half hour and Mm -hmm. then journaling, meditating most days with a guided app and then doing some writing and then trying to delay checking my phone, checking my email, getting online till about eight o'clock and then diving in. Fantastic. So if you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? That's a tough one because there's so many different people. (laughs) So it depends on which area of my life I may be struggling with or want to know more. I mean, you know, one thought that comes in my mind is uh, Tony Robbins, where Mm -hmm. he's just seen so much and you don't want to talk about success leaving clues. He's seen all those people and coached Mm -hmm. them and led them and done so much. Like the nuggets in that hour would just be like the compilation of what now 30, 40 years of what he's done. That would be pretty amazing. I think that would be really fun. Fantastic. And then my last one, my last one is what is your favorite word and why? 
I don't know. I feel like these days, like it's either authentic or persuasion because that's what's just coming up all the time. <laughs> okay. um, you know, for me, one of I, I think relative, I think one of my favorite words that I use a lot just in life and that I come to appreciate so much is that relative, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is in relative. If it's good day, it's relative. If it's a bad day, it's relative. If it's a good experience, a bad experience, struggles, challenges, opportunities, it's all relative. And it just frames it where like it just takes all this pressure off of everything because it's just it's just relative. I love it. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Hey, if our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? Ultimate best way, I've made it simple. If you go to jasoncutter.com, there's a hub with all the links to all the various things, the consulting, the book, online stuff, you know, I'm all on there. So jasoncutter.com. And then where I spend all my time is uh, on LinkedIn. So you can see a lot of content on there, chat with me on there. I'm easy to find. Fantastic. Hey, your success is important to me. And it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do three things right now. First, I'd love for you to head over to Instagram. Head over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, second, I'd love you to pop over to Facebook. Pop over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction in both platforms. And then last and definitely not least, I would love for you to connect with me, to reach out and share with me anything that you need to hear, want to hear, desire to hear about these episodes, a topic, a question, a conversation. Your feedback's important because we do this show for you. So please head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. We'll get a 30 minute call on the schedule and uh, you can just share with me what's going on. Always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.